Hey everyone, my name is Pastor Dina and thank you so much for joining us for Northeast Christian Church Online Services. Please be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms to keep up to date with all that's going on here in our church. Also, if you would like to rewatch today's sermon, you can look us up on Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Podcast. Well, thank you and enjoy the rest of service. Sorry, guys. There we go. Sorry about that, guys. Can we just give it up for that worship team? Was that not, like, amazing? <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Mary Evelyn, thank you so much. Uh, I even requested that they come back at the end and sing one more song as we, as we cap this off. And uh, I want to talk with you today about the final step of what we do here of the purposes of our church. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. That's really us retaking the whole idea of the great command and the great commission and bringing them together. Uh, I think I saw Bill and Elaine Button. Are you here this morning? This, this has been my pastor and a, a mentor, both of them over my life. We went to Israel together, and I just want to just publicly honor you both and just say we love you. And that was their granddaughter, Quinn. Rumor, I always call Quinn Quinticue because I, I have Teddy Roosevelt, he called one of his children that, but I heard that it's not original with me, it actually was you that said that first, right? So it, I'm just, it was great to hear her, a child, sitting in there. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sin? She's like, yes. Did he resurrect for you? Yes. Are you going to live your whole life for Jesus? Yes. And I believe with all of my heart it is better to build children for Christ than to repair adults. And there is no better place to minister than with kids. And I want to encourage you, those of you watching online, those of you that are here, it is time to come back with your kids. We have a great program, we have a great team in place, and encourage you so much to do that. If you're at the point that you're sending them to school, I want to encourage you to bring them back so that they can be saturated with the things of God. The Bible says, train a child in the way that they should go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. And this is the time to pour into your kids. It is better to build children than to repair men. I believe that with all my heart. So as we start here in closing off our whole series on what's next, I want to talk with you on the final part, which is making a difference. And you can see from here, know, knowing God, we believe that, that that's a vertical experience. You can, God, wants, God knows who you are, but he wants you to know who he is. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. Even what was shared, the verses in, during worship time, to tap into the fact that God has good things for your life, that God wants to bless you and your children. Sometimes we look at our own life and we look at our own past and we say, man, is it just going to get worse? And God says, stop looking out and start looking up and look to me and know who I am and know that I can change your life. I can impact your family. I can help you make a difference in this world that you won't be infected by the world, but you'll be affected, affected for my kingdom and making a difference. And so when you look a little further, we talk about finding freedom. And I believe with all of my heart, as a former addict, 
as a former person who was out of control, just like all of you, different strokes for different folks, whatever your deal is, it could be as simple as gossip, it could be as complicated as meth addiction. I believe with all of my heart, while we can know God and God knows us, when it comes to finding freedom in our life, any of you who have been in, in, in addiction understand that the worst things happen when you isolate yourself. And it says in Proverbs, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. So we get close enough to community that, that we could say that we're in it, but not close enough so that we, can't, we can never really be accountable with it. And while we need God and we need to know who he is, we need people in our lives that are able to come up to us and say, you can make it, you can break free from it. God did it for me, he can do it for you. We need each other in one another's life. And so to be the church, we have to be in community. And I'll tell you what, last week we had all of the different ministries and small groups that are out there. If you're wondering, well, how do I plug in? How do I do that? What's my next step? It's really simple. You need to just start going to next Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, last room on the right, and there's four simple classes, and we will help you and direct you into doing that. Last week, we talked about discovering purpose, and we talked about the life of Joseph. In fact, there's a, a, an interesting overlap with Joseph's life that I found from from 5020, we said 2020 vision is not the vision you want for your life. You want 5020 vision, Genesis 5020, where Joseph turns to his brothers who, who sold him into slavery, who got him into Potiphar's house, who then was falsely accused of rape, then was thrown in prison. After being in prison, was, brought, was forgotten by people that he helped until finally God brought him to the most powerful position in the world next to Pharaoh. And he says this, he says, as for you, you meant it for evil evil against me, but God meant it for good. One of the biggest parts of your journey as a Christian where so many people get stuck is that place where you realize you have to understand that people sometimes intentionally hurt you. That's human nature. That's sin. But you can get stuck in that place and never let go of that bitterness and that forgiveness and never move on in your life. And Joseph realized that if he was going to ever get anywhere, if he was ever going to make the most of a bad situation, then he needed to have 50-20 vision to say, you intended it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, Joseph discovered his purpose. He discovered that he was an administrator. He discovered that he was a leader. Everywhere he went, the people that were in charge made him in charge, and they never even checked up on him. He was that good. How many of you would say, give me a group of a room filled with people and chaos and a cause, and I'll whip that into shape. I'm not here to take sides, I'm here to take over. Am I the only one in the room with that? <laughs> you guys are like, he's so narcissistic. <laughs> Some of you have that gift. You're like, you're like, no, 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 it needs to be organized this way. Or Joseph had those kind of gifts. Or you walk into a room and you see hurting people and people are kind of awkward around someone else's hurt and they don't quite know what to do and they don't want to bring it up because they don't want to make them feel worse and they don't want to say anything. They, but you, you've got that gift where you walk in and all of a sudden tears start pouring down your face. You feel their pain. You walk up next to them, you put your arm around them and you say, I'm so sorry, but I'm here for you. Whatever your gift is, we need to discover our purpose and our giftings. And that's what that whole next journey is all about. And we put online a drop-down called Purpose. And all of the tests that we give, you can 
You could take those online. They help, you know what? Knowing yourself is really, really important. But there are many people in this world who I've watched who discover purpose without ever making a difference. How sad it would be to come three-fourths of the way and never finish. In fact, this was probably the least viewed Olympics in history on, on media. She's good. She's good. If you're, no, she's not good for you. You're like, yeah, she, you're okay with it, but she ain't. I'm on. Yeah. So I was going to have Elena come up here and sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, but she's not, she's not here, is she? She's in the other room. Okay. All right, next week. So the, the, the thing, there were some really beautiful moments that happened in the Olympics, and a lot of them were not from the American side. They were from the international side. There was, uh, there was a race, and I believe it was uh, the person from Spain and a person from, um, I can't remember if it was Uganda or somewhere, but the runner, the, the guy from Uganda, or from, I think it was Kenya, he was, he was in the lead, and then all of a sudden he stopped and he dropped and he threw his hands up, and what he didn't realize is, is that he didn't finish the race. He didn't finish the race. He actually thought he crossed the finish line. And running behind him was the guy from Barcelona. And what was so beautiful was that instead of running past him and taking the gold, he ran under him, picked him up, and started pushing him forward so that he could get across the finish line. Some of the most beautiful purposes in this life are not when you take the gold and you take the attention for yourself, but when you see somebody that should win, that can't, didn't, or is about to lose and shouldn't, that you get under them and then you lift them up and you push them forward to victory and be like, you did it, you did it. Isn't that beautiful? Those of you that have a competitive nature, I understand your language is second place is first loser. And by the way, I don't have a competitive bone in my body. I have a defender bone in my body, but not a competitive bone in my body. But I do speak competition, and I love what you bring to an environment where it just ups the ante of, like, game on, challenge accepted. And you have a gift, and it's a good thing, you know? But, but there was another beautiful moment and I think it was the, uh, an individual from Portugal, and it was another individual from a country in Africa. I can't remember what they were competing in, but it was just a beautiful moment. Both of them tied for the gold medal. And the person from Portugal decided that rather than having a playoff and making sure that one got gold and the next got silver, he said, I request if possible, I demand that we share the gold because nobody's best should ever be drawn off to second best. We both did our best at that moment and came in first together, and we should share the honor together. They gave both of them gold medals and both of them the prize, and they shared the win together. Isn't that incredible? See what you missed by not watching the Olympics or you know reading it? But I saw that, and I'm like, man, you know, Discovering purpose and making a difference looks different if you look at it through the eyes of Jesus. It looks like that individual that could have taken that lead over that person but knew that they deserved it and helped them. You see, when it comes to discovering purpose, we, we need to understand how has God made me? How has God gifted me? How has God shaped me? But then we also need to understand that those things exist not just for our own personal enhancement, but for the enhancement of the world around us. Because the Bible says, love God 
and love your neighbor as if they were yourself, and love the foreigner among you. Right now, as I'm speaking to you here, they are in process of bringing 1,000 of the Afghan people who were at that gate and that border when that explosion took place, and they're bringing a portion of them to Lowell. People who have seen enough war to last two lifetimes. They're coming here with needs. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. When you come to the United States as a refugee, there's a, a missionary we support who's on the back wall with a ministry that focuses on refugees in the, in the United States. His name is Greg Detweiler, and I was on the phone with him for about an hour saying, how do we help? Where do we begin? What do we do? And, you know, he was giving us great, great advice, but here's the interesting thing. When you come to the United States as a refugee, and some of you here and some of you watching online are part of our community, and that's how you came to us. We have one family that came from the Dominican, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. They'd seen so much war. They went to Kenya and came to us here to the United States. When you come here, they give you medical care. They give you housing. They give you food, food stamps, all kinds of assistance. But these people are coming in under what is called an SIV visa, which means that most likely they're recognized in higher status as, as a part of the United States, but they are much lower with assistance, which means they'll arrive here, they'll be given a check probably for $2,200, and they will say, welcome to the United States. Can you imagine if I told you to wipe away every, uh, to walk away from your job, empty your bank account, and then I gave you $2,200, what would that do? It devastates some of us. This is what's happening, and so there are only three places in the Bible where we're called to make a difference by the phrase in Hebrew, it goes, ve'aharta, it means this, and you shall love. It's found in Deuteronomy 6, 8, called the Shema. Jewish people pray it three times a day. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second one is found in Deuteronomy 30, 18. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But the third one, and the only place in that huge section of the Bible, the Old Testament, it's found in a, chapter 19, I think it's verse 34, where it says this. It says, you shall love the foreigner among you, for you yourselves were once foreigners in a foreign land. There is no greater form of love and no greater way to make a difference, to take your purpose and to, to, to lift people across the finish line. And we're praying about how we can do that as a church. We're praying about practical ways to do it. There are some levels where they're going to say these people ha need a place to stay for two to three months. Some of you in this room, as I say that, your heart goes, yes, I want to open up my heart. But they have wisdom, especially why we're working with these missionaries, because sometimes not every home is a good fit for the family, so they're going to do it. There are others of you that are kind of like, mm, I don't know, and as you begin to pray, God might say, no, you can actually find that need and meet it. How, what do we say in this church? Help me with this. I always say it to you. Find a need and what? Find a hurt and, and find the joy of serving. Why? Because if you find the joy of serving, yes, you'll never want to be served again. You were doing it in sign language. I saw that. That's actually stolen from Tommy Barnett, and it's such a profound phrase. Making a difference is simply finding a need and meeting it, find a hurt and heal it, and finding the joy of serving. You gotta find the joy of serving. You gotta choose joy, and you gotta choose to serve. But it might be as practical as bus passes, food cards for them, until they get 
assistance and get settled in here, but can I just say it was sad for me to read so many posts underneath it of people talking in terms of these people being terrorists? In, in the Middle East, right now, I could take you with me. I've been back and forth to Israel enough times. I could take you with me into the home of some of my Muslim friends, and you and I could stay there as their guests for a year without ever paying for food, without ever being asked to leave, because they understand a, a concept that we only understand in, in a short way, which is called hospitality. And in the Middle East, whenever you have someone over there, if they'll offer you three cups of coffee. The first is for the guest, the second is for the host, and the third is for the sword that they will use to defend you to their very life if anyone ever tries to bring harm with you under the care of their home. So they understand coming under care and coming under people. So if you have any of these people over, offer them three cups, because if you offer one cup, it means drink it and get lost. So don't do that. Uh, some of us are not in a position to do that. But what I find, and what I want you to see here this morning, is that discovering purpose is really simple. It's actually very practical. You're kind of like, well, I don't preach, I don't teach, I don't do that. Turn with me to Matthew 25, verse 31. And I'd like to read you about 12, 16 verses. I didn't count them out. But imagine the truth. You and I one day will stand before God. We'll give an account of what we did with what we had. And we know the story of the talents. Did we make more with what we had? Did, what, what did we do? God doesn't hold you accountable for what you can't do. He holds you accountable for what you can do. And I thought this passage is incredibly practical in helping us know how to make a difference. Let me read it to you. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. I'll have you guys change the slides as I read just for the Bible verses here. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. You know what's amazing is, is the people that did this don't even know or realize that they did it. They're confused. Why? Because verse 37 says this, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and welcome you, or naked and clothe you, or when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it as if you did it unto me. Then he goes on, and he says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison or did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, truly, I say to you, as you did it, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's 
it's kind of crazy to me to think that the final judgment will actually be so practical. It won't be that I taught great Bible classes. It won't be that I taught good sermons and prepared properly. It won't be that my church attendance was there or my giving was perfect or any of those kind of things. It will be, did I treat people as if it was God himself in front of me? I remember one time when I was at Bible college, we, we had the Holy Spirit was moving in a very beautiful way and people were coming up and giving testimony. And we're, we're starting to bring you more and more testimony. Wasn't that video of Pastor Kevin that Thomas made incredible? I just gotta say last week, that was just amazing. It's online on our website. We're getting it up there and definitely on our Facebook page. Take a look at it. But uh, that's our new way of getting the story out, the testimony. We overcome by our testimony. I'll never forget God was moving. And so they said, why don't we get some people to share what God did for them? And one person was like, I, I had nonstop headaches and, and it's gone, amen. And it was like, a, I just was sitting there and I was praying and I had no money for school and they were gonna tell me I had to leave and I just got a, te I just got a text from a family member saying that my bill was paid off. Texting wasn't around then. I don't know how they got it. Somebody got a call, I guess. But uh, it wasn't that long ago, by the way, if you're wondering how old my I am today. I'm 30 and uh, thank you very much. Okay. But people are sharing all this stuff and all of a sudden one of these guys gets up his name was Sal, and he goes, I've been thinking of killing myself. And the whole place went quiet. And I'll never forget, at that time, it was Ben Crandall was the president, and he grabbed Sal, pulled him in tight to him, and he said, do you see this? He goes, this is how much you love Jesus. I never forgot that. In other words, I only love God as much as I love the least lovable person in my midst. Oh, Sal was annoying. Sal was challenging. But when I did it to the least of these, I did it unto him. And I made a vow in my heart. I said, God, I'm going to love everybody as much as I can as if it's you. And I don't get it perfect every time, but if I want to make a difference, it's so practical and it's so easy. And if you want to make a difference, it's so practical and it's so easy. It's just find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. And find the joy of serving. You, you know, it, it, it's, it's just that thing that's right there in front of you. I have a life in my mind of how I was supposed to be, where I was supposed to be at, what I was supposed to be doing, but I realize that I don't have that life. I just have the life that God gives me and how I choose to live that life and interact with the people that he's put in my life, that is what he is looking for from me to make a difference in. Think, think about this. That last week we taught you German. Say it one more time with me. Sit im Lieben. Sitz im Lieben. Try it with me. One, two, three. Sitz im Lieben. When you study in the PhD level, you have to learn research languages. Ben, I'm going to be praying for you. Are you taking German or French, or you're just scared? Okay, I'm with you. German is, a, by the way, English is a Germanic language. It's not, it's not a, uh, it's, it's based in, in German. Any of the foreign words that we have in our language, I learned this from my son Andrew, by the way, who's like, it created his own language. He's a freak with languages. It's incredible. But like, Every word that we have in our, uh, like foyer is French for foyer. Every, 
and we're not a romance language, we're actually a German language. Why am I telling you that? Because my son talks to me about this stuff all the time. So, but this is a cool German word because Sitz in Lieben means it's setting in life. In other words, my life only makes sense if you sit in it, if I live in the place where I'm at. We say it like this, don't judge a man until you walked a mile in his own shoes. You don't really understand something unless you understand it in the context of life. And, and that's really the, the way that God has made this whole thing of making a difference, is that he wants you to discover your giftings. Listen, he doesn't want you to hide them. He doesn't want you to be ashamed of them. You might, you might have gifts of the mind. Some people have gifts of the heart. Some people have gifts of the hands. They want to serve. 12.15 today, you come here and you meet in that lobby. We'll feed you pizza, take you downtown. You don't even need to talk to anyone. You can just watch the first time. There are some people who have gifts of the feet who will walk into places that nobody else would dare to walk into. God's given you gifts. You're gifted, and they've been given you by God so that you can discover them, but that you can do something with them. But I was saying earlier how sad it is if you learn the idea of discovering purpose, but you never make a difference. Imagine. There's a story that a friend of mine shared with me once about that whole idea to have a purpose, to have a dream. You've probably seen this photograph before. In fact, just for, for my sake, if you're in this room, not, not online, of course, but if you're in this room, raise your hand real quick if you've seen this picture before. So I see hands all throughout the room. This is actually a photograph of, in the 1980s, there was a famine in Ethiopia, and the photographer's name is Kevin Carter. Kevin Carter was from South Africa. Him and a group of his friends were dedicated to, to, to two things, exposing the apartheid that was taking place in Africa. The, the, the apartheid was racism on a whole different level. They were covering people in tires up to their neck, pouring gasoline on them and lighting them on fire. It was horrific. It was horrible. And so he was there with his friends in war zones, taking pictures of things. They called themselves the Bang Bang Club but because they were around so much violence and so much danger. And so when the Ethiopian famine broke out, he put himself right in the middle. But the reason he would do this was because he believed that the, that the, the purpose of his life was to become a Pulitzer Prize winner. He was going to win that renowned award for artisanship that nobody else could have. And so he went in, was taking all kinds of pictures. In this one moment, he just waited and waited the, and waited for the vulture until it closed its, its wings down and the child at that point had bowed its head, the young girl bowed her head to the ground and he clicked the picture. Sure enough, he got the Pulitzer Prize. Now there's two versions of the story. One of them is, is that he finished a cigarette, kicked the bird away and drove away. I don't believe that one. I tend to believe the other story, which says that he actually kicked the bird away, helped the child get to the, to the station and what happened to the child from there, I, nobody, nobody knows at this point but that he gave them that ride. But here's the sad part of this story. You can discover purpose without making a difference because he discovered the purpose that he wanted to be was this amazing photographer capturing injustice. But then after he won his Pulitzer Prize, just shortly after that, he ended up taking his life. And he wrote in there, I've seen too much pain. I've seen too much sorrow. I go now where my friend uh, Dan or whoever it was, that be, where he is, hopefully, if I'm lucky. And with hopelessness, the man that accomplished the greatest photographic 
award that you could possibly get for one of the most profound pictures taken of that famine takes his own life. Why? Because he discovered purpose, but he didn't realize that he was created by God so that his gift that was given to him by God could be leveraged by heaven to make an eternal difference. If I could go up to Kevin and say, Kevin, don't do it. That picture is going to change how much people give. And this, this famine that is, is taking place in Africa, there was so much money raised, I think by, I forget what the concert was, and some of you might remember when MTV was actually a music station. And they, 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 they raised so much money, it was like, they're like, we are gonna eradicate famine in Ethiopia. And there's always more need than there is resource, but man, they made a difference. He, his photograph changed the world, but he didn't dial into the fact that God wanted to use him. <coughs> Can I tell you something? Some of you in this room, you have understood from the beginning that God has called you to discover purpose. You, you understand what you're about, but you haven't dialed into the fact that he wants to leverage you to make a difference where he's placed you. You've got to allow God to use you in the place that he's placed you. What do you mean? Does that mean I need to go to Bible college and become a, a, a minister? Well, maybe, but actually I think more it's that you would be a servant of Jesus Christ in whatever context you're in, in the chemistry lab when you're, you know, putting stuff together, whatever it is, at Raytheon, in, in, in court, in, in, the, in the service line, answering calls, whatever it is, that when you see somebody that all of a sudden their head drops and they're crying and they're trying to hide it, that instead of running away from it, you walk up to it with your gift of empathy. Instead of sitting back and watching the place and criticizing the chaos that's there, you're able to step in and say, hey, listen, I know I can solve this problem. Um, do you mind? if I just give a try and help you guys or you know or it could be something big and extreme I mean different strokes for different folks but it's important that you understand Jeremiah 29 11 isn't just a cute little verse but when God says I know I know the plans I have for you they're plans to prosper you not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future it means that what God wants you to do is walk with him he wants to he wants to be a daily part of your life he wants you to bounce things off of him he wants you to know that he's given you wisdom sometimes God's interaction with you will simply come when you're thinking about something and you'll say oh God I just please help me with this I don't know what to do and and an idea will come into your head and guess what God drops that wisdom into you and you're able to make that decision other times you'll be begging God Lord there's nothing I can do about this. If, you're, if you don't do something, it's not gonna get solved. And then all of a sudden, we experience a miracle and God steps in and changes the situation. You can make a difference through prayer. You can make a difference through your gifts. You can make a difference through your resource, whatever it is. God wants to use you to make a difference. You're not here purposeless. And he's gonna do it out of the context of your everyday life. But you might say, well, Pastor Paul, the world's a big place. I don't, I don't feel like I'm making much of a difference. There's a story of a, a kid that one time was on the beach, and he's going frantic. He's picking up starfish, and he's throwing them in, and he's screaming, help, help me, and he's just picking them up and chucking them in, and there's an older couple walking down the, the shore, and they see this kid running around frantic, and at first they thought he was in danger, and then they realized he's trying to put the starfish back in the water so they don't die. And so they walk up to the kid, and the kid comes up to him, Mr., please, please help me, help me. And the man just looks at him, gives him some of that elderly wisdom, and says, 
young man, look at all these starfish. Do you, do you really think you're gonna make a difference? This is just the way it is. And the kid dropped his head, and all of a sudden he cracked a smile. And he bent over and he picked up one of the starfish. And he goes, shh, blunk. Made a difference for that one. Picks up the other one. Made a difference for that one. For that one. And you know what happened? The wife and the older man, they started picking up starfish and throwing it in. You may think what you do is small and insignificant. Do you really think God is going to be asking you in heaven all those things about your life? No, he's going to say, I was hungry. You fed me. I was thirsty. There was a need, and you met it. I had a hurt, and you healed it. I needed to be served, and you did it. It just blows my mind that at the end of the day, the king of all kings, the god of all gods, the, the king of the universe, is going to just simply ask us, did you love other people as if they were me? Was that the purpose of your life? Because that is the purpose of our life. You only love Jesus as much as you love the least lovable person in your life. Some people say Christianity is a crutch. That's a crunch. That's hard. You only love Jesus as much as you love the person that hates you the most. Because Jesus, I, I remember we were talking together as a group on this team where we used to bring college students and professors to the Middle East. And one of the group talked about one of the Muslims in, in their circle of influence, and he looked at him and said, you Christians have the answer for the Middle East. You Christians can solve the problem in the Middle East. And he was like, really? He goes, I don't know. He goes, he goes yeah. He says, because only Jesus says, love your enemy. It's not found on the lips of Muhammad. It's not found in the lips of Buddha or Krishna. It's found on the lips of Jesus to love your enemies. And what did Jesus do when he was hanging on the cross? He did it. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's so hard. I, I want to ask the team to come up here as I race through a couple of people that made a difference. Look at David, King David. Think about his life. He wasn't very kingly. In fact, he did some pretty awful things. But the most famous song in history for 2,000 years has been Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. God, don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me. See, David's songs and prayers were a lot like yours because he was thinking about the sin that he did and he was begging God not to remove himself from him. He says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know what he was looking at? He was looking at King Saul and what happens when God lifts his presence from a person. They go insane and he's like, oh my goodness, God, please, please, I know I deserve it, don't do it. But what made D David different and what makes you different is that when when you fail God, you don't run away from him, you run to him. And some of the greatest songs and some of the greatest works in your life will actually become the byproduct of some of the worst decisions and the worst things you did. Because God doesn't look at everything and say it's good, he says he works everything together for good. You are not a prisoner 
of your bad choices. You have a Father in heaven who loves you and forgives you, and he takes your sin and turns them into songs with purpose, if you'll allow him. If you'll allow him. I think about Esther. She was in a genocide. The first genocide was not the genocide that took place in World War II. There have been countless pogroms and Back in the time in Persia, there was a man who wanted to wipe all of the Jews off the face of the earth. And Esther is sitting in the palace of the king. And here's the thing about Esther. It says that she was more beautiful than any other woman. You know, when you and I look at beautiful people, something actually happens in the minds of most of us. We begin to think that they're conceited. We do this with rich people too, right? They're selfish, they're greedy. It's not true at all. It's, it's a mismanaged, misjudgment of the heart. In fact, you'd be surprised people that are beautiful or handsome, when they look in the mirror, they actually sometimes don't have as good of a, a sense of a self-esteem, and the people that are projecting that they are the greatest thing on the planet or the earth are really just compensating because they're insecure on the inside. But Esther's beauty was a gift from God because it was the very thing that brought her into the presence of people, that brought her into the presence of the king, and all hope was gone for the Jewish people. She was raised by her uncle. Her father and mother were dead. She was raised by an uncle, and an uncle was petitioning and fighting hard against this, and she said this to Esther. Esther, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. God can always use somebody else. He can. But you and your father's house will perish but who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What does that tell me? That Esther's purpose that she discovered she was in the king's house, she now had to take a step of her own to move purpose into making a difference. And the story goes that she walked into the king. If you walked into the king's presence without being requested, you were put to death unless the king turned his scepter towards you. And here comes gentle, beautiful Esther. She walks into the room, putting her life at risk, and the king turns his scepter, and she touches it. And she says, can we have dinner? And that night over dinner, she discusses how there's a plot to destroy the people, and the very people that were trying to kill the Jewish people he turns around, the man Haman, he turns around the gallows that he had intended for Esther's uncle. He ends up hanging on it, and the, the plot is foiled. Historical fact. I'll never forget being in Israel and going to the Holocaust Museum called Yad Vashem, Remember the Name. The reason they want you to remember the name is because when they were killing them off so efficiently, all they did was call them by their number, not by their name. Yad Vashem. There's one particular room dedicated to children. And you walk in that room and there's a pile of their shoes. And they repeat and read off the name of every child that died in the Holocaust. But it takes three and a half years for all of those names to be read. And then it resets and it begins to reread those names again. And they have one candle in that room and a mirror so it makes it look like there are a million candles but it's all coming from one single light. 
one person. If you've never seen the movie Schindler's List as a pastor, I, I, I would say, tell you that it's got cursing in it. It's got a couple of scenes of nudity in it. Um, I wish I could purge it and sterilize it for you, but I, I usually watch this every time I go over to Israel because I never want to forget the name. I want to remember the name of Oscar Schindler. And Oscar Schindler, who is a self-centered, selfish, greedy businessman living for himself, acquired a massive amount of wealth off of the slave labor of Jewish people. He had almost 1,100 people in his group they relocated them to a concentration camp, but they would allow them to leave and come back so they could work. And then finally, Oscar understood what was going to happen. They were going to send all of those people to Auschwitz and they were gonna kill every single one of them. And so this pile and mountain of money that he had that he was about to take off and spend for two lifetimes, he looked and he realized, I have a chance here to make a difference. And he walks into the director of the concentration camp and he says, how much is a person worth for you? And he turns to him and he says, no, Oscar, the question here is, is how much is someone worth for you? And he sits up and in a typewriter, one of the men join him as accountant and they write a massive list of 1,100 names. And he all of a sudden realizes, he says, how are you getting these people? Why are they giving them to you? And he looks at Oscar and he says, you're buying them? You're buying them? That's the list. It's actually in that museum, and it was found in a trunk in a case in somebody's attic, and it sits in Jerusalem today in that museum. The last moments that Oscar Schindler had with these people, he was ready to leave, and before he left, they handed him two things. The first was a letter that had the names written of with the signatures of every single person, all 1,100 of those people, explaining that he was not, although he was in the Nazi party, he was actually saving all of the lives of these people, and they signed it in hopes that it wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't treat him as, a, as a, a war criminal. And then they handed him a ring, and on that ring, they wrote on it a piece from the Talmud that says, he who saves one life, it's as if he saved the world entirely. He slips it on his finger, and all of a sudden, he breaks down. He says, my gosh. He goes, I could have sold this car. Why didn't I sell this car? I could have sold this pin. This was two people, at least one. And as he's weeping, he says, why didn't I get more? Why didn't I get more? See, I'm not thinking that my life will be as profound as that. I'm not necessarily suggesting that you need to live your life out by that, but I think we're more like that kid at the beach that we just need to begin to say, it made a difference for that one. It made a difference for this person that I want to work. Do you know 85% of people who were, would be invited to church would come there? How many of you know somebody that has problems? If you ask them to come to church, they would. You have the answer for them. You can make the difference. But our life and our purpose only makes sense if we're living it in Christ alone. No power of hell, no scheme of man can pluck you from his hands. And I want us as we close to sing this song and as we sing it one more time, I want you to just reflect on your life and offer it to God and say, God, I sing this to you. 
give me the, help me to know you. Thank you that I'm finding freedom. I'm like David, my life is a mess, but it's yours and, and you're mine. I trust your grace. God, I, I know that I have abilities and gifts and if I'm insecure, help me to find those. But most importantly, Lord, help me not to stop at discovering purpose. Help me to make a difference for you in this world. Help me to live the life that you want me to live, not the one that I dream to. And help me make a difference in people's lives one at a time. Let's sing it. Thank you so much for joining us for service today. To rewatch today's sermon, you can search for it on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. And again, to keep up with all that's going on here at the church, you can go on lolag.org or ne-cc.org. Thank you again and have a great day.